Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. The following is a special report from News Radio 1080 KRLD in Dallas, Fort Worth. This podcast is being shared with you on a one-time basis. If you like what you hear, subscribe to the KRLD in-depth podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. I started to look ahead and there was another chunk of Arctic air coming down. I said, this is going to be a catastrophic event. We are under rare and dangerous conditions. A winter weather warning. Every part of the state of Texas will face freezing conditions. People in North Texas mad, afraid, they're cold. What everyone wants to know this morning is when will the power be back on? I walked out in the kitchen and all this water was pouring down from the kitchen ceiling. So be able to say, when is it going to happen again? No way. Will it happen again? Yes. The Texas Power Emergency and Rotating Outages. News Radio 1080 KRLD. The winter storm that hit Texas in February 2021 caused power outages for millions of people across the state. I'm Chris Blake, and this is the second part of our three part series from News Radio 1080 KRLD, in which we're looking back on that cold, dark week. In part one, we heard from KRLD Chief Meteorologist Dan Brunoff about how it got so cold and stayed that way for so long. Today, we learn what was going on behind the scenes at ERCOT as parts of the state were plunged into the dark and what's gone on since then to ensure the grid is more stable than it was a year ago. Russell Gold is a senior editor at Texas Monthly and wrote this month's cover story for the magazine. The cover reads, quote, how long until the next blackout? It's an excellent piece that walks us through what happened minute by minute as regulators took parts of the grid offline last year. If you have time, it's very much worth your while to check out. Russell previously covered energy for the Wall Street Journal and has written two books about the industry. So Russell, we're talking as we approach the anniversary of last year's winter storm and power outage. You've covered energy for a long time. As you saw those blackouts start to take hold, what was going through your mind? Uh, Surprise. Honestly, um, this was bigger and more widespread than I thought I would ever see. Uh, I remember the 2011 blackouts. Those were true rolling blackouts, you know, power on, power off. I I was stunned that so much of Texas could be blacked out and that it would remain blacked out for three days. Never saw that coming. I want to get your play by play on what happened because your article did such an excellent job portraying that. But before we get there, can I get you to define a couple groups for me that I'm sure will come up today? Can you explain for us first, what is ERCOT and what does it do? And then same thing for the Texas Public Utility Commission. Sure. Well, let's just start with the Public Utility Commission. Uh, Public Utility Commission are governor appointees. This time last year, there were three of them. They're now five. They set uh, policy, electrical policy. For the state of Texas, Um, are we going to go out and build more transmission lines? How much will we pay companies for them? You know, basic things like that. They are the electric regulators. About 20 years ago or so, the state created something called ERCOT, which is a nonprofit. It actually runs the grid. It does the the minute by minute work of saying, okay, you power plant, you have to go on. You power plant, you stay off. We need this much power, and this is how much we're going to pay you. 
it runs the minute by minute auction that determines how much uh, we pay for power. And then those costs go, turns around and, and, and passes those costs on to us, the ratepayers. In a nutshell, PUC sets the policy. ERCOT runs the, the minute by minute grid that keeps all of our uh, iPhones charged up and our radios working. Gotcha. So let's go maybe not to the beginning of the storm, but the beginning of what we're supposed to be rolling blackouts. We all go to bed Sunday night. Everything seems fine. And I distinctly remember waking up when the power went out early, early Monday morning. What was going on behind the scenes when that happened? Well, e even on Sunday night, the 14th, things were not fine. Uh, we set a new wintertime peak for electricity usage. So the grid was already being strained by that point. So it um, seemed fine to us, but... <laughs> the lights were on, so it was fine in that sense. But behind the scenes, ERCOT was already pulling out all the stops. They were telling every power generator that could to run. They have various other programs to, to sort of drop off some industrial users to, to, to conserve. They were doing that. Sunday evening, they were already, it was an all hands on deck situation. Everyone knew that this was gonna be tight. Uh, and that they needed to be completely on the ball. Then what happened was starting right about midnight, several gas plants across the state tripped offline. And what I mean by that is they unexpectedly went offline. They had something froze, something wasn't working. They couldn't get gas, but they could no longer generate electricity. And there was a series of them that, that happened. That set off the crisis in ERCOT. And so what happened was in ERCOT's main control room, located outside of Austin in the town of Taylor, they were looking and they need to balance electricity supply and electricity demand. Well, demand was sky high at that point. It, was, it had already broken the record at seven o'clock and was only heading up. And all of a sudden they were running out of supply. The reserve, the cushion was disappearing. And in a situation like that, they don't have, a, they basically don't have a choice. And so somebody in the ERCOT control room picked up the phone it's sort of the hotline phone. It connected with the 14 different companies around the state. And, and they said, it's time. We need to institute blackouts in order to control the grid. And so they, they called for the first set of blackouts. I forget exactly how many, 2,500 megawatts. And, and all throughout the state in Houston and Dallas, San Antonio, Austin, other places, College Station, they knew exactly what percentage of those blackouts they needed to, to, to execute. And they started turning off the circuits in different neighborhoods, shutting down power, reducing uh, the demand on the grid in order to bring it back into balance. The problem is it didn't work. Because the situation kept getting worse. I suppose it, it worked, but the situation kept deteriorating. And so, you know, they had to pick up the phone again, four times in the span of an hour between midnight uh, and 2 a.m., so was, I guess between 1 and 2 a.m., they made that call, more blackouts, more blackouts needed, more blackouts. And what happened was is that, you know, the, the different, the local control groups, you know, they might have a series of circuits they know they can, they can blackout. And I, I describe it like a game of musical chairs, right? You know, let's say you have six circuits you can blackout and only two people kind of dancing around. Well, you can rotate. When you get to three, you still can rotate. They got to six, there was no room left to rotate. And that's why, and, and the grid was really unstable at that point. And that's why essentially they said, look, we are locking this down. Whatever's off right now is gonna remain off. 
And that's when rolling blackouts became three-day-long blackouts. At least 600,000 Encore customers without power this morning after ERCOT declared a level three energy emergency alert. That means rolling outages across the state. KRLD's Bailey Friday is live. That's a really good explanation of how that rotation was supposed to work because I think the difference between a rolling blackout and just a blackout is what had a lot of people scratching their heads. But when the power did go out, we were below freezing almost that entire week. So what are regulators, officials, whoever, doing to get the grid online while the temperature is still below freezing? Well, what they did was essentially they said, look, we're turning off the market. There's this very complex system where different companies bid in and say, I'll make this much power for this much. They said, no, forget that. If you're running, you run. You know, we, we pulled the plug on the market. Um, and, and uh, you know, they put the call out and they basically said to power plants and to gas suppliers, because a lot of the problem was we couldn't get enough gas in the system and get that gas through the pipelines to the power plants. Um, you know, everyone needs to do whatever they can to get up and running again. Uh, and, and that's what was going on. I mean, during the course of my reporting, I went out to Odessa to a power plant there. You know, they, they both lost gas and they also had icing. And, you know, they, they had workers working 12 hours straight in single digits um, you know, with wind chill, trying to, to, to declog ice and, and, and get the power plant working again. And that's really what was going on. But it wasn't for about two or three days that they got enough power plants up and running that they were able to start the process of saying, all right, we feel confident now we can start bringing some of these neighborhoods back on, some of these circuits back on and balancing that with the power we have. Stacy Silverman of Grapevine lost her electricity 3 o'clock Monday morning and it didn't come on for 61 straight hours. She lived in her van because the house was 40 degrees. She says most So a freeze at the gas lines was the root cause of this? It was definitely a major cause. Let's not, you know, beat around the bush. Texas's power runs on natural gas. We need natural gas and natural gas power plants. We had, uh, you know, every every single type of power you can think of failed. The, the the very small number of hydro dams they had problems. Gas plants had major problems. Coal plants. There were instances of coal piles of coal freezing under ice, so you couldn't actually get them into the plant to to burn them. Uh, wind farms out in West Texas had ice on their blades. They had to shut down. So we had we had problems everywhere. But but. One of the things I did is I went back and looked at some of the text messages and the emails and the phone calls that were going back and forth between ERCOT and the PUC, between the key players. They were worried about gas because they understood that without gas, nothing was going to work. Texas isn't connected to the national power grid, with the exception of a few areas near the borders with other states. Why is that? And what is the resistance to connecting it to the national grid? It's a very simple reason. It's called interstate commerce. If Texas was connected to Oklahoma, New Mexico, and, and Louisiana, then those electrons would be uh, interstate commerce. And the key there is that that means that our grid would be regulated by FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission in Washington, DC. Texas doesn't want that. As long as it's all contained within the borders of Texas, it's intrastate, no interstate commerce, we get to regulate it out of Austin. And so that's sort of 
you know, that's been the way it's been since the 1970s when, when, when that accommodation was made. You're right, we have a couple small bridges where we can move, uh, you know, a couple hundred megawatts, uh, you know, and just to sort of give listeners a sense, you know, 80,000 megawatts is what we were talking about demand uh, during the freeze. So 600 megawatts here and there is not going to make a huge difference. Uh, those exist. And we kind of have this interesting fiction where we say, yeah, we're moving megawatts across the border, but, but you know, that's not really interstate commerce. And, and so, you know, a lawyer much smarter than me is going to have to explain how we do that. But, you know, the, the bottom line is that Texas wants to regulate its power grid here out of Austin. You know, you talk to the regulators, they say, look, we can move more quickly, we can move more nimbly, we can be more experimental. And that's been true up to now. Uh, you know, we built these these giant transmission lines, which which start off this huge boom in wind farms out in West Texas. All of that was done because we were regulating it here. It's something that, 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 that the governor wanted to do. And, you know, we just don't want someone in Washington telling us what to do. That the, the downside of that is that we don't have someone in Washington telling us, hey, you know what, we, we see a problem emerging with how you handle winter weather, you're going to really need to jump on that. Those, you know, that was actually happening, but, but you know, it was reports, it was suggestions, it, it didn't have, um, you know, it wasn't a regulator saying you must do this and, and it, it didn't get done. Yeah, you say it didn't get done. So what was the fallout? What was the solution? Because we remember lawmakers that week going out and saying, we're going to fix this. It's never going to happen again. And we keep hearing the word winterization. Uh, that, that's been the buzz phrase. And what that means is that uh, the state is now requiring power plants uh, to be better winterized, to be better prepared to operate when it gets below 20 degrees and there's ice. Uh, and it has more inspectors and it has more teeth in those inspectors. And it's beginning to do the same with what it calls the essential gas infrastructure. We're not talking about every well pad in the state, but the major pipelines, the, the, the compressor plants that keep those pipelines packed and flowing um, and, and other, you know, other gas processing facilities, which will take the gas as it comes out of the earth and remove you know, some of the ethanes and propane so that it's what's called dry gas that we can run through our house for heating uh, and, and power plants can use. All of that is in the works. Uh, the state took a little time on the second part, on the gas part, so that's not completely done yet. In fact, it's mostly not done. Hopefully by this time next year, we'll have more gas power plants winterized. But the, look, the bottom line is that we always assumed that the problem we'd have in Texas would be July, right? July afternoon, August afternoon, it's 100 degrees in, in the Metroplex in Houston and in Dallas, and I'm assuming in Austin and San Antonio, everyone's got their ACs cranking. And that was really put a, you know, it would just stress the grid. Well, so far, you know, knock wood, so, so good. We're, we're okay in the summer. The problem we're having is the winter because we all have these older houses with really inefficient heaters. And when it gets really cold, gets down to 20 and 15, we're cranking up these heaters and using an enormous amount of electricity. And we have power plants that aren't able to run because they're starting to freeze up. That's what happened in 2011, happened in 2016, happened with calamitous results in 2021. And, you know, we're keeping our fingers crossed it's not going to happen again in 2022. It is ironic that Texas, of all places, has more trouble in the winter than it does in the summer. One last question for you. The subhead of the article on the inside of the magazine, and I'm quoting here, reads, One year after the deadly blackout, Texas officials have done little to prevent the next one, which could be far worse. So why could it be far worse if it does happen again? Well, the reason it could be far worse is that we are seeing as the climate is changing, 
you would think, oh, everything is getting warmer. And it is. Certainly our summers are getting warmer, but it's also changing what's going on up in the Arctic. And that means that sort of the, 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 the spin of cold air up there is wobbling and starting to flow further south into Texas more often. And so we're seeing more of these extreme Arctic cold fronts coming through, um, coming through Texas. And if we're not ready for it, if we don't have the system set up for it, uh, if we have more people living here with inefficient heaters and we're setting more records for demand in February, um, it's going to be a problem. We, we had somewhere on the, on the order of 700 people who died uh, during the week in February. It was calamitous and, and it was horrible for, for the state's reputation. Look, this is Texas. We're an energy leader. We show the rest of the world how to go out and handle energy. And, and, and yet we failed. And so, you know, in, in addition to making sure that, that people stay alive, that we have the basics of what we need, heat and, and electricity, you know, Texas really needs to take this as an opportunity to show that it can fix and create an electric, electrical system that can operate when it's 105 degrees out as well as when it's 20. And if it can do that, balance its renewables with its thermal, you know, that's something I think that the rest of the country, if not many parts of the world, would, would be happy to import from us uh, in Texas. Russell, thanks for the time today. Yep, you're welcome. I'll talk to you later. In the aftermath of the power outages, several top officials at both ERCOT and the Public Utility Commission were either fired or resigned from their posts. At a virtual ERCOT town hall last month, interim CEO Brad Jones explained the steps that have been taken to prepare the grid for more cold weather. The cornerstone of the solution is in weatherizing our generation plate. And I've got to say that with these two legislative members here on the phone, the legislature was in session and they immediately were able to turn to this issue and honed in on the areas that we needed the greatest amount of change, the greatest amount of support, and gave us the tools that we needed to make that change. Following the legislative action and approval by the governor, we moved immediately into action. And the Public Utility Commission began drafting up rules for how generators need to weatherize in the future. And not only did the legislature give them the ability to set those rules that contain significant penalties, a million dollars, as was said earlier by, by the representative, not only was that created, but also gave us, ERCOT, the ability to go out to these generators and to the transmission providers and to make sure that they'd done what they were supposed to have done. And if they didn't, we then would report them to the commission. That wraps up the second part of our three-part series looking back on last year's winter storm. In part three, we'll look at the consumer side of things, the damage that was done to people's homes, the energy bills they racked up, and how the insurance industry responded. I'm Chris Blake. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you soon. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 